Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 760. What did you think? Vachette said, laughing at me. That a handful of us win our reds and run off to lives of mad luxury while our families drink their own bathwater and die of scurvy? I hadn't thought of it at all, really. I said, looking around. Bachette was beginning to show me how to use a sword. We had been at it for two hours, and she had done little more than explain the different ways of holding it. As if it were a baby and not a piece of steel. Now that I knew what to look for, I could see dozens of the Adem houses worked cunningly into the landscape. Heavy wooden doors were dug into bluffs. Others looked like little more than tumbles of stone. Some had grass growing on their roofs and could only be recognized by the stovepipes peeping out. A fat nanny goat grazed atop one of these, her udder swinging as she stretched out her neck to crop a mouthful of grass. Look at the land around you, she said spinning in a slow circle to take in the landscape. The ground is too thin for the plow, too jagged for horses. The summer too wet for wheat, too harsh for fruit. Some mountains hold iron or coal or gold, but not these mountains. In winter, the snow will pile high. In winter, the snow will pile higher than your head. In spring, the storms will push you from your feet. She looked back at me. This is our land because no one else wants it, she shrugged. Or rather, it became ours for that reason. Vachette adjusted her sword on her shoulder, then eyed me speculatively. Sit and listen, she said formally, and I will tell you a story of a time long gone. I sat on the grass, and Vachette took her place on a nearby stone. Long ago, she said, the Adam were upheaved from our rightful place. Something we cannot remember drove us out. Someone stole our land and ru or ruined it, or made us flee in fear. We were forced to wander endlessly, our whole nation mendicant like beggars. We would find a place and settle and rest our flocks. Then those who lived nearby would drive us off. The Adem were fierce back then. If we had not been fierce, there would be none of us left today. But we were few, so we were always driven forth. Finally, we found this thin and windy place, unwanted by the world. We dug our roots deep into the stone and made it ours. Bachette's eyes wandered the landscape. But this land had little to give us, a place for our flocks to graze, stone, an endless wind. We could not find a way to sell the wind, so we sold our fierceness to the world. So we lived, and slowly we sharpened ourselves into the thing we are today. No longer only fierce, but dangerous and proud unceasing as the wind and strong as stone. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. 
we don't get the origin of the Edamaru ever, as far as I know. Uh, and jumping the gun a little bit, but Quoth immediately follows up with, oh, that's just like my people on the next page. Uh, not saying again that this is like proof positive, but uh, it's definitely interesting that if true, as I've speculated many times, that the Edamara and the Edamara uh, form, uh, you know, come from the same family Two tree. halves of a whole. Yeah, this would be one of those things that's like in plain sight. If if true, you know, I agree that this supports that idea. Yeah, it's also worth saying that they come from like a a mobile culture, a pastoral culture, a nomadic culture, uh, and that does support my kind of reading of them as like a yeah a pastoral like herding culture, right? They say we would find a place and settle and rest our flocks, then those who lived nearby would drive us off. It also, the other thing it kind of puts me in mind of is like many cultures in our world have a story like this about themselves. Like we were driven from the place that we came from and we settled in a new empty land where we decided to live. That's not actually true in history because there's basically been nowhere that was empty for a culture to settle in. Uh, They always end up displacing somebody else who's like, basically since there have been human civilizations in the form that we recognize as civilization humans have been everywhere that it's possible for humans to live so uh there there was never like a green and pleasant land that was unspoiled that a nation could just like go in and settle in if they were settling somewhere new they were probably interacting with the human population that was already there in one way or another so i wonder like this is a fantasy story, so anything's possible. Maybe there really was nobody living here, or maybe there was somebody living here, and the Adem interbred with them and uh, formed a new kind of syncretic culture. Maybe they drove them out, uh, or maybe something else drove them out before the Adem got there. So wait, you're saying that there was someone here before the Adem? I, what I am saying is that historically speaking there isn't such a thing as like an empty place habitable by human people. I'm not saying that's impossible in this fantasy world, but I am saying that Vashet, this story that Vashet is telling might not be uh, correct in the assumption that there was nobody there when the Adem showed up. It's definitely inhospitable. It's not a place that you might, you know, on the face of it, it's not a place that you would intentionally settle, I suppose. Right. But, People live in all kinds of inhospitable places. Canada is an inhospitable place. That's like, true. That's our, not th- clear why all this, lives here. <laughs> yeah, all of this stuff, like, are, you know, we have winters where the snow piles higher than your head and, and, and nasty storms in the spring. People lived here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. There's, there are so many environments that are inhospitable to human life more than a Demra seems to be to me where people chose to settle or people have made a life for themselves. So it's, it's possible that this is true in the fiction of this story, but it's also possible that it's not. It could be true then that they're low key hiding um, that they've chosen this place, not just because it's inhospitable and no one was there, but because like people are unlikely to come there. Um, And the way that their houses are set up here, there's even some that are literally hidden. 
dug yes. into bluffs, looking like little tumbles of stone, grass growing on their roofs, and only recognized by stovepipes. It could be literally that they're hiding from something. Yeah, it's I very think it's convenient that we don't know the circumstances of whatever it was that drove them from their original place. Now, we have unearthed on this read that there could be a relationship to the Sitha. And this event, you know, could be that they were driven away from Fey. Maybe it was the creation war that drove them away. Mm. Uh, if, you know, big if true. They are reminiscent of like hobbit homes, though, don't you think? Yes, Those, I do. These houses do that are that. like kind of built into the landscape. Yes, I don't think that's an accident. Because Tolkien's grubby fingerprints are all over everything these days. <laughs> I mean, I think it's more a case that it's if you write epic fantasy, it's very hard to not be influenced by Tolkien in some way. That's what I mean. His grubby fingerprints. Okay. Grubby marmalade smeared fingers. <laughs> wow. A lot, of, a lot of Tolkien slander in this episode. <laughs> Do you deny that he was constantly snacking on marmalade, sir? I guess I don't know enough about his personal life to say that for sure. He really does seem like a Paddington, you know? Mm. If he was Hobbit-like, as one likes to imagine that he was. Uh, Paddington is, is Hobbit-esque, I think. Yeah, Paddington like is very much... Like the bear? Yeah, he's he's small. He likes to snack. He's cozy. He's got hairy toes. I mean, he's, he's got hairy lonely. everything. He's a bear. Yes, and and everything includes his little toes. All right. I think the only other kind of point I want to comment on on this page is that Vachette is just kind of surprised that Quoth is surprised at the way that they live. You're like, what do you do? Of course, we like take the wealth that we earn and reinvest it in our communities. What did you think we would do with it? Right. It just seems like that's they come from such different cultural paradigms that they're kind of at uh, this is like just a, a cultural. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Well, what's what's the old uh, the old saying? Socialism or barbarism? Anyone who's not of the Adam is a barbarian because they're not socialists. Oh, shit. Correct. That's a great point. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm hmm. Yeah. So uh, socialist paradise in the inhospitable mountains. Come with us to the Rockies. All right. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about on this one? Just that you should follow our clarion call uh, to the Rockies of Canada okay. and the Northwest East. North and East but side. like Northwest half the, the Rockies States. hang out in Alberta and, you know, it's like the opposite of a socialist paradise over there. Well, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll uh, become our own sovereign nation there. Yeah, that is what they want, but I don't think they want the kind of country that you want. Yeah, I was saying, it's a different kind of sovereign nation. <laughs> no, no, we'll have our own sovereign nation. If they want to force us out, they'll have to find us. We can uh, do the Al-Qaeda thing and disappear into the mountains. <laughs> Listeners, we will we be can waging... strike against the great Satan from the safety of the caves. <laughs> you can join us on our people's, our people's war against the uh the wexiteers on tomorrow's page <laughs> of <laughs> the win. Win. 